this week, uh, as my family and I, we traveled some places and here around town as well. Everywhere that I went, I saw this. Someone was wearing one. Everywhere I went, I saw someone wearing one of these things. I even noticed that at a stoplight, there was a person in a car next to us who was also wearing one of these things. Does anyone want to guess what it is? Okay, we're not gathered here to talk about masks. No, I'm not talking about masks. I know that's a a hot topic right now, but no. All week long, everywhere that I was going, I began to see this, the cross. I put it right here in front of you so you might notice this morning. I saw people with silver and gold and wood crosses. It was, I don't know if it's because I began to study the cross this week that I'm like, wait, they've got a cross on and they've got a cross on. Wait, those people have a cross on. And as I reflected this week on the cross of Christ, I also thought about actors and actresses and musicians and sports heroes who wear the cross around their neck and at the same time use the name of Jesus as a swear word. Sometimes I want to stop people and say, do you know why you're wearing that cross around your neck? I wonder what the responses would be uh, if you just ask people, is it for a fashion statement or is it a thing of, I want to have some type of religious thing or, hey, let me tell you the reason why I'm wearing the cross and what that actually means today. You see, for us, at least many of us, the cross today is a picture of God's grace But the cross, when Jesus walked the earth, was not a picture of grace. It was a picture of shame. It was a picture of torment. It was a picture of humiliation. It was a picture of death. And so when we look at the cross today and we see the words that Christ declares, there's a lot of weight in what he makes in this statement to his disciples today. I, don't, I couldn't remember this week if it was when I was a kid watching this show. At that time, it was reruns even as uh, The Little Rascals. But I'm trying to remember this show. I remember seeing it in black and white where there's a kid and there's a bigger kid. And the bigger kid draws a line in the sand and dares the kid to step over it. He says, if you step over it, I'm going to knock your block off. And I don't remember if they fought or what happened there or whatever, but I just remember that scene. And what we come to today is Jesus has drawn a line in the sand for his disciples. He says, if you want to follow me, you step over this line. But know that if you step over this line, it's going to cost you a whole lot. So let's look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. The big idea as we read this passage and reflect on it this morning is this, to save your life, you must lose your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. To save your life, you must lose your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Would you look with me at verse 23? And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. The Word of God. Father, we pray and ask that in this holy moment that we would praise you, we would declare your name great, that you would be glorified. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to have an understanding, a clarity of your word that we have not had before. Father, would you help us to count the cost in following you? And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower us to walk daily, picking up our cross. Father, would you bless the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you weren't here last week, we looked at Jesus doing a miracle, feeding the 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000, depending on how many women and children gathered with them. Previously, right before these verses, though, Jesus says in verses 21 to 22, he says to his disciples, he says, hey, I am going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected by Jerusalem's, by Israel's leaders, by the chief priests, by the scribes, all the religious leaders are all going to reject me. I'm going to be killed and on the third day be raised. He makes that statement and then we read this. Imagine that you are one of the disciples following this. Jesus, it says, men, women, children, I'm going to be very clear with you. If you're going to follow me, here's what it's going to take. Here is the cost for you to follow me. The first point is in verse 23. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If I was standing there after I saw the miracle and then Jesus says he's going to be killed. And then he says, follow me, take up your cross. I think I would look for a point to jump ship because in that time, at that day, in those, when they were walking the earth with Jesus, the cross was a lot different than what it means to us now. And so the question for you is, how would you respond to that? You have an opportunity to get out. He say, hey, follow me or not. Cross this line and join me or not. What we see here in this text and at the end of the chapter, chapter 9 is a clear picture of what discipleship is. If you want to know what discipleship is and to follow Jesus and to be a disciple, go and read this whole chapter. Read the end and what the cost it takes to follow Christ as Lord and to be a disciple of Him. But would you look with me at verse 23? It says that let him deny himself if you're going to follow him. Now this word deny here, it means to affirm that you have no connection with a certain person. It's the same description wording used when Jesus Christ, the night that he was arrested, Peter, one of his closest three, a leader of the disciples, three times says, I don't know the guy. The third time he's like swearing and says, man, I don't even know who you're talking about. I've never been with him. That's the picture of the denial when you read this word. And so look at verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny what? I heard some of you say it, it says deny what? Deny himself. Now here is the problem for all of us. Here's the problem for the disciples. It's denying yourself. It's the greatest challenge for any follower of Christ because we, as people, all have an old self or a self we're born with. It's a sinful self. It's a self that's involved in every aspect of the world. And before Christ, we love ourselves. Christ calls us to not love ourselves in the sense that he needs to be loved first. We need to deny ourselves, have the humility of Christ. It means to set all of your interests to the side. All of your great plans you've set out for your life, to set those to the side. 
And you do that for the sake of God's kingdom and His plan and His glory. But again, look at verse 23. It's not just a denial of self, but He says, take up your what? Take up your cross and follow me. How many times does it say there to take up your cross? How many days? Does it say one time? It says take up his cross daily and follow me. So again, when you talk about the cross, at that time was a, would have been a very shocking metaphor for the disciples. Wait, Jesus, we've seen people on crosses. What do you mean take up our cross daily? This would be something they were very familiar with. If you look at just history, you read things that Josephus wrote about the crucifixion during the times of Christ. Some of these disciples may have seen hundreds, if not thousands of men and women crucified on crosses where they went to their death. To think about this, that generally when Romans would hang a man on the cross, the men were generally flogged or scourged beforehand. They didn't do that to the women or if there was some traitor or you know, those things, but specifically with the men, they would do that. They would have the person going to the cross. They would tie the patibulum or the cross of the uh, cross point of the cross on their back and they would take it to wherever they were going to be executed. And then the cross would be put together. They would be tied to it or they would be nailed to it. And there they would hang naked and bleeding and they would die. Sometimes it would take hours and sometimes it would take days. There's a whole lot more I could describe about that, but I'm not going to. Because some of you would be like, that's grotesque, that's horrible, there's children here. But imagine at that time, children walking through streets, going with their parents, and seeing people on a cross going to their death. The cross is a very fearful and weird type of thing for the disciples to hear Jesus say, to pick up your cross daily and follow him. But this picture of what Jesus is saying, of picking up your cross and following him, is a willingness daily to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what comes in your face, no matter what problems, trouble, or suffering, or persecution. It's to daily deny yourself and to follow Jesus and his plans. Look at the end of Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 57. As they're going along the road, someone says to Jesus, says, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, verse 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And he said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are some strong, strong words. Would you agree? What? I can't go bury my dad first? What? I'm supposed to leave this behind? You want me to do these things? Jesus says, there's a cost if you're going to follow me as one of my own. And so taking up your cross, dying to yourself every single day willingly is the challenge. And so it's clinging to God's will. It's holding to God's plan. It's rejoicing in God's providence all so that God's glory, that his name is made known 
and he receives all the glory and receives all of the praise. Let me ask you this. Who are you willing to die for today, right now? Think for, think for a minute. Who are you willing to die for? Or to think about this question. What are you willing to give up in your life for the sake of Jesus' name? I think as if you, if you think and reflect on this this week the way I did, there are some things in my life that I'm like, oh, oh, of course I die for my family. I die for these people. But man, what if I have to give this up? Man, what if I have to do this? And it's like, Jesus, I need your help for that. In verse 24, Jesus says, here it is. Lose your life for the sake of his name. That's the second point. Lose your life for the sake of Jesus' name. Verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Did you hear that? The cost is great. Stepping over the line is great. Following Jesus costs you your life. He does the work and it costs you your life to follow him. And so it means this. To lose your life, all the things that you take pride in, all the accomplishments you have ever done, it's a willingness to lose those things, to put those things to the side. To it's a, lose your life is to give up on all of your plans for making your name great, your family great. is to give up on all those things that you said, I'm going to do this, 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 and this in my life. Now, there's no problem with goals. There's no problems with following certain things because specifically if it's for the glory of God and fulfilling the great commission which he's given us to, and God gives us a desire to do things to please his name, but to lose your life means to get rid of your plans the things that you invent with your own human thinking that are not for the glory of God. To lose your life for Jesus means humility with your goal of glorifying God every single day. And would you say that that is a hard truth to swallow? When you really think about your life, you're to give up these things to lose your life for this. If you think about that, isn't that a hard thing to accept from Jesus? He's called you to give it all to him, to trust in him, to trust in his plan. I think I've heard this sometimes. Maybe you've heard this, but there's a challenge that some people, they they want to follow Jesus at some point in the future. I'll follow Jesus after I get married. I'll follow Jesus after we have kids because we need to get the kids in church. I'll follow Jesus after I retire because then I'll be set and then I'll have all kinds of time to read the Bible. And there's a great problem with that. There's a horrible problem with that because some of you may die after you leave this service today. You don't know when your last day of life is. So we are called to be people who rid ourselves of our lives for the sake of Jesus And Jesus is clear with his disciples here and in the rest of his time with his disciples that losing your life for my name, for Jesus' name, will involve suffering. Would you raise your hand? How many of you like to suffer? Anyone? 
Is there anyone out there who's like, I love suffering. I like live for suffering. No, not one of us like any suffering at all in life. So to hear Jesus say, you follow me, suffering's involved. It's like, man, I don't want any of that. I got an ingrown toenail. That's suffering. I don't want that. So the question would be, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Is it just so that you can go to heaven? Hey, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But do you follow Jesus just for that fact alone? I want to go to heaven. Or do you follow Christ because he's called you and he loves you? And he says, follow me because of what I've done for you. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8. Verses 8 through 11. This is what the Apostle Paul writes of Jesus. And it says in verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To think this, that Jesus Christ, who is God, gave up his glory in heaven He added to his deity, humanity, and was born in the manger like we celebrate at Christmas. And he went to a cross and he died there physically, but spiritually he took on my sin. He became sin. God the Father poured out his wrath on his son because of our sin. And he died, was buried in tomb, and rose again, and because of that, it says that God has highly exalted him, given him the name above every single name, that one day on heaven and heaven and earth, every single knee would confess that Jesus is Lord. And for those who do not cross the line in the sand and follow him, it's too late. Yes, you will declare Jesus as Lord, but it's too late. He wants you, he calls you, and he says, follow me now. The cost now is to follow him and declare Jesus as Lord now. So that in the future, as you declare him Lord and praise his name, it will be as an entrance into his kingdom. So what have you invested your life in? Where have you laid down stakes? What are you committed to that if something changed tomorrow, you'd just be a wreck to think about all the things you've established in this world and tomorrow everything falls apart. Verse 25, Jesus calls us to cross the line and abandon the world for him. That's the third point is to abandon the world for Jesus. Verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So we are born in this world as sinful people, people who are sinners, and we love ourselves and we love the world and we love ourselves in the world with great affection. We do not love God. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable to some guys who are arguing over some money. And he says, hey, let me tell you about this rich guy. And he says, this rich guy has so many crops that he looks at his barns and is like, 
I'm going to tear these down and build bigger ones because I have so much crops that have to be filled. And he says to himself, that says the rich man says, soul, I have plenty. I'm going to kick back in a lawn chair with a nice cold lemonade. I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink and I'm be merry. And Jesus says, fool. Today, your life is demanded from you. Do you get it? Do you see? Life is so short. We don't know what day the Word of God has said that there's a day appointed for every person to die. You do not know your last hour, minute, day, week, or year. And Jesus says, I'm calling you to step over the line. I'm calling you to take up your cross and follow me. I'm calling you to lose your life, and I'm calling you to abandon the world. And so human thinking, if you go back to last week in our study, uh, the, 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 the disciples were thinking, oh, we can't feed the disciples, all these things we talked about. Human thinking and how humans think that we're going to save ourselves and how that always falls short. And here you have human thinking in the sense of that, hey, if I depart the world, to holy living that seems impossible or I don't even want to live holy. For the non-Christian, holy living is impossible. And if you caught what I said a few minutes ago, every single one of us are born as non-Christians, sinful people. And so holy living is impossible for every single person until the point where Christ saves you because of the cross and the empty tomb and faith in him. And then he makes you holy. He says he calls his people. He makes them a holy nation. He calls them his own. God the Father adopts his people as his own children. And therefore, the Holy Spirit of God indwells in you if you're a Christian, therefore empowering you so you can abandon the world for Jesus and follow him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 talks about this. For If you're a Christian and walking in this world today, it says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And so here's a problem. For the Christian, you're called to abandon the world because the world is darkness. Christ living in you is light. But you're like, wait, am I just supposed to ignore everything in the world? No. Jesus is clear when he says that we are in the light when he dwells in us and there is darkness, but he calls his people to go out into the darkness with the light of Christ. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. John teaches this to Christians, and he was writing specifically to many new young Christians who are newer to the faith. And he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, does this sound familiar? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides how long? says forever. John was telling these early Christians, stop loving the world. It's something you battle with because you loved the world before you loved Christ. And so all those desirous things of the world, they look so pleasing, but you need to abandon it. 
and not love those things because if you love those things, you truly don't love Christ. And so it's a daily battle. Go back to picking up your cross daily. There's a constant daily battle to follow Christ. And John reminds the Christians there in what Jesus reminds the disciples many times that the world is passing away. All the treasures that we lay up for ourselves will rust. The moth will eat them. You can't take them to heaven. The riches in heaven are way greater than any riches you can have here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 calls believers to holy living, to not be conformed to the things of this world. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, your friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And some of you are like, I know exactly what James is writing there in James 4 because I was an enemy of God because I was a friend with the world in the sense that I loved the world and I didn't love God. Nowhere in scripture do we see Jesus or God's word calling the Christian who's now following him to just be like, hey, forget the people who are not Christians. No, the mission he he gives you and has given you as a follower is to go to those who are non-Christians, those who are living in the dark, to love them with Christ, but not to partner with the world, to separate from the things of the world. And so following Jesus daily means doing the will of God the Father. It means obedience to his word. So if I had to repeat myself over and over, I'll repeat myself. Read the word of God. How can you be obedient to the will of God if you don't know what it is? I would say it's probably one of the greatest struggles for all believers is lack of studying God's word leads us to those challenges of loving the world and not following after what God has called us to do. The problem, though, becomes even greater for you when you not only love God, but you're obedient and you make him known. Our mission statement for this church is uh, to know Christ and make him known. For many of us, we're fine with knowing Jesus, reading Jesus's word, praying with Jesus. But wait, I'm supposed to make Jesus known? That's a little fearful. And that's where it comes down to this last verse here in verse 26. Don't be ashamed of Jesus is the last point. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Because when we are making Jesus known for the Christian, I'll just be honest with you, at least with me, there's some fear that goes with telling the world about Jesus. But there's a difference between fear and shame. You ever been ashamed of anyone before? You ever been ashamed of a family member? You ever been ashamed of a friend? You ever been ashamed of someone that you've been affiliated with? I thought about it a number of times this week. To this day, from seventh grade, I still feel bad about this. I remember my mom telling me the night that we were going to go to youth group that night. I just started going to youth group at our church, seventh grader, that she was coming to youth group. And I was like, what? She said, well, I've been asked to be a volunteer with the youth group. That was, that did not set right with me. I actually was, we get to youth group. I'm arguing with my mom the whole time. We get to youth group and I feel embarrassed and I felt ashamed that my mom was in the room. Completely sinful, completely wrong, but that's what I was feeling that day. I didn't want my mom to be there. So I know that I hurt her feelings. Uh, She didn't uh, decide to continue on. I, I must have gave her enough uh, flack with her being there. 
or she realized I tried to stay on that side of the room away, but I was ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed of Jesus? Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Um, when I was also in seventh grade, that was a crazy year for me. I would bring my Bible with me in my backpack to school. I don't know why. I just did. And so I would be made fun of at times, you know, whatever type of name, whatever. But it wasn't until the end of seventh grade year that some of my friends started calling me Pastor Paul. <laughs> I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I was so angry one day. A friend, of, a friend of mine just kept calling me Pastor Paul every time he saw me in the hallways. I walked home and I took my Bible out of my backpack and I threw it across my room. And then I quickly was like, oh, sorry, Lord, forgive me. I picked it up. I'm like, I'm not going to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. I hate that name. And really, I was like, man, I was ashamed. I don't want to be affiliated with Jesus. And I did. At the same time, you can't have it both ways. I know that there's been times where I have been fearful to tell as total stranger what I do for a living. I hate that question at times. You're talking with someone, you're on a plane or you're somewhere, and they're like, oh, so what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, do I have to tell you I'm a pastor? Because if I tell you I'm a pastor, we got to talk about Jesus, right? There's a fear there that happens. But Jesus says in verse 26, look with me this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And I don't know about you, but I read that verse a number of times this week. And every time I read it, it was a very sobering thing to read. Whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, I'll be ashamed of them when I return. Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. He was buried in a tomb he rose again the third day, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death. He ascended to heaven after giving all of his followers a great commission. And he said, I'm coming back. He repeatedly told the disciples he'd die and he would come back. And Jesus has fulfilled his promises and we're waiting for, for the fulfillment of that promise. His return in all of his glory. And here again, the line in the, so in the sand, here with an exclamation point. I'm returning. I'm going to return in all my glory. I'm going to return in my Father's glory. I'm going to return in the glory of my eternal kingdom. Oh, and my holy angels, myriads of them are going to come with me. And if you are ashamed of me on that day of judgment, I will be ashamed of you. <laughs> Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> A text that, a chapter that teaches us about those who love the world and God giving them over to their love of the world. The Apostle Paul, who did not love Jesus, who persecuted and had people killed and imprisoned for the name of Jesus, meets Jesus one day. And he knows the truth. And here's what he says from going from someone who hated Jesus to someone who teaches people the truth about Jesus. He says in verse 16 of Romans 1, For I am not, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Again, there is a big difference between fear and a big difference between shame. There's fear to declare the gospel. There's fear that we're going to have consequences, fear of suffering, fear of rejection, fear of hatred, fear of physical death for the Christian. Look at Jesus' words in John chapter 15. Here's what Jesus says to that for Christians who have those fears. As you're turning to John chapter 15, let me ask you this. Have you ever been hated before? You ever been hated before? You can raise your hand before. I know I have been. Anyone ever been hated for any reason? Anyone? Man, a lot of people love you guys. Not too many hands. But you know what? People are hated because of things we say, things we do, because of who we are, how we look. Jesus is clear the world hates you if you've crossed the line and you're following him and you cannot change that. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let me tell you this, people. If you're a follower of Christ, you can't change that. The world hates you. Yet too many Christians fall into the trap that they think they can change us and that we are going to change the world and the church, the world's going to just love Christians and the world is just going to love the church. No, they are not. The world hates Christians because the world hates Jesus. Turn on the news. I don't care what side of the aisle you turn on the news and the people in this world are clear that they hate Jesus and they hate anyone who follows it, follows him. And so what Christians try to do, or maybe I should say so-called Christians, because so-called people who are ashamed of Jesus do this. They water down the truth of God's word. Churches or so-called churches that refuse to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're afraid they're going to offend the world. Oh, if we just stop saying anything about hell and sin, let's just tell people Jesus loves them. Why would anyone in this world care about Jesus loving them if you don't tell them about sin, if you don't tell them about hell. All he is is another religious historical figure to them. They might as well follow Buddha. They might as well follow Krishna. They might as well worship whoever if you don't tell them why we have the cross. All it is to them is a religious symbol and that's why they wear it and swear Jesus' name at the same time. Too many Christians are ashamed of the gospel and only want to please the world so the world will love them and it's never going to happen according to Jesus. So if your approach has been just to tell people Jesus loves them, that's great, but you need to tell them why Jesus loves them. Don't just say Jesus loves you. Tell them why. 
If you skirt, skirt around the gospel, if you don't tell them the truth of the gospel, if you don't want to talk about sin or hell, all that is is being ashamed of the cross of Christ, which Jesus died to purchase me from death. It's a, being ashamed of Jesus who may, was made sin by my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. It's being ashamed of Jesus who rose from death to life. He has promised to return in glory. So if you ever hear me or anyone who stands in this pulpit and they don't declare the truth of God's word, then kick me out, get rid of me, fire me. Because it's about Jesus and his word. It's not about a person creating their own kingdom in a church in this world. It's all about glory to God. So let's go back to the beginning and end this. Jesus draws a line in the sand. He calls you to answer his call, to follow him, to abandon the world, to cross over that line, to follow him, to be fully committed to his plan, to be fully committed to his purpose so that he is the one that's glorified. His great name is lifted. And I believe that when we desire Jesus' plan and Jesus' will and glory to his name, then declaring the truth not becomes easy, but it becomes urgent. And all of us scatter after services and we go and tell people, you need to know Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about the cross. Oh, and also let me tell you about the empty tomb. Maybe we should stop wearing crosses and wear an empty tomb on our neck. Because sometimes we get stuck here. We're so thankful for forgiveness. But we get stuck here and we forget that our Savior is risen and he's returning. So the big idea is this, to save your life, you must lose your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. I've been asking this question every, every week as we've been looking at the gospel of Luke. How does this apply to my life? If you're a Christian, Jesus says, he says, follow me. Pick up your cross daily. My question for you is, what does that mean? How do you need to pick up your cross daily? How do you need to deny yourself? What do you need to do daily and ask the Holy Spirit to do? One last verse, Galatians chapter 2. If you're a follower of Christ, print this out this week. Put it everywhere where, you're, where, where you can see it every single day. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Follower of Christ, disciple of Jesus, believer, Christian, you've been crucified with your faith in Christ. When Jesus died, you died with him. When he rose, you rose with him. Your sinful life and prideful life and your worldly desires are dead and gone, yet they keep rising up and you, you, there's a battle there. You have been made holy because Christ is holy and he dwells in you. So now we go and we live minute by minute, moment by moment, day by day with faith, trusting Christ in every mountain, in every valley, in every joy, in every hardship, every rejoicing moment, every suffering, every persecution, all the hatred, all the trouble, all the storms, and I weigh that down because every believer will go through those things. And the reason it's possible is that, yes, make this clear. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He's died for you. He took your sin. 
He forgives you because he loves you. If you're, a fo- if you're not a follower of Christ, I'd say this. You're standing at the line that has been drawn in the sand and Christ says, step over and follow him. There's no prayer to tell you to pray. It's simply calling out to Jesus, asking for forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that in this moment, as we take a few minutes and we take uh, communion together, as we take a piece of bread and we take a cup together, the purpose is to remember you, to remember the cross. Father, we ask that this morning that you would help the followers of Christ to not be ashamed of you, to walk in your ways, to pick up their cross daily. We pray and ask that, Jesus, you would empower us to do that. And, Father, for all that are far from you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.